welcome to the Practical Podcast, episode 21. Finally, Blaze. We're in person once again, but this week we're talking about the Melbourne Storm situation surrounding Cameron Munster and Brandon Smith. Then we talk about the Wallabies European Tour coming up. Then we talk about the ongoing Ashes situation and how that's evolving. And then a secret new project that we're starting here in the practice drill that we can't wait to share with you all. Shout out to Sencho. The first time he's brought us in, in person. Unbelievable. Thank you, Sancho, for getting us through the lockdown. It was all him. It was him all along. He's helped us through, and he's introducing my good mate, Blaze McKee. Mate, it's good to see you in person for once. Yeah, as you say, very exciting and a big episode ahead, so we'll get into it. So uh, what sport did did you enjoy in the last week? I think we spoke about, you know, the start of the cricket season and and there was plenty of cricket to enjoy over the week. Obviously, the Sheffield Shield, uh, you know, has it ups and downs. And then uh, the Women's Series with India, I think there were some really exciting uh, T20s where Australia came out on top. Yeah, they actually secured the the series, uh, that long-form series win that we spoke about last week. Um, If you'd like to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, go and do that at T underscore practice drill. We're keeping you up to date on all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket, and NBA basketball. So obviously, a lot of sports we cover there. So should cover a lot of your interest. But Blaze, let's get straight into that topic that I spoke about in the introduction there, the Melbourne Storm. Now, man... Big topic. There's always some big, big topics in the off-season for the NRL, sometimes even larger than you know during the season uh, because I guess it's more focused on personalities and, and I guess it's more drama-driven. But three Melbourne Storm players caught in a video with a white powder. Now, we can connect the dots there. Uh, and they've received sanctions from both the NRL and the Melbourne Storm. Before we go into what those sanctions are and some more uh, details, it's I'm excited to have the rugby league off season here. It's always full of drama. Yeah, for sure. I've been you know, I've been talking to Jess. You know, whenever you see one of these stories uh, come up, you just think, man, these NRL players are a bit of a different breed <laughs> and you know, fortunately so far there hasn't been anything too too crazy or, you know, shocking that's come out and more some more laughable maybe situations or some dumb situations where you go, How did they get themselves into that, you know, scenario? And this is probably another one of those. You know, they they're in a private home but I don't know who they were hanging out with, whether it's their friend or someone they don't know and, and it's been circulated around. So yeah, a bit disappointing on, on a few parts there. Yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. Like people are looking at this issue as a really serious, like, oh, this is some serious stuff, like a bunch of boys being caught doing cocaine. As I've said to you off air, you have to be living in denial if you think that athletes aren't doing drugs behind closed doors. And especially something like you know, whatever this white powder was, you know, it'll have, you know, less toll on an athlete's body. Whereas like if you're drinking like a bunch of beers to make yourself feel good, you pack that weight on and the players only have such a small amount of off season to make sure that, you know, they don't put 10 kilos on and then they have to try and burn it off in pre-season. You want to kind of make sure that you don't have to work too harder than you have to when it gets to pre-season. But for these three players, Cameron Munster, Brandon Smith, and Chris Lewis, that preseason's been extended one weekend. Now, what I mean by that is they've been suspended for the first week of the 2022 NRL season, and they've been handed some big fines, 
I, you want to run it through. This is some huge stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a long rap sheet. Obviously, as you spoke about earlier, they've been handed internal sort of suspensions by the club, but also uh, fines by the NRL. So from the club, Cam Munster received 100k suspended fine, Brandon Smith 50k suspended, and Lewis 10k suspended. And then from the NRL, Munster received a $30,000 fine, Smith 15000 and Chris uh, Lewis 4000 along with, you know, a wide range of other uh, issues, you know, Cam Munster stood down from the leadership group and uh, Brandon Smith stood down from the emerging leadership group. You know, I think that's probably a big one. Cam Munster would maybe be looking towards leadership honours, you know, later in the future, but it seems like that's on the on the back burner now. I think Cameron Munster, yeah, 100% right, but I think Cameron Munster's still a really great leader out on the field because he's he mainly leads by example, but you can still see his, his, his ability to command, you know, the troops around, but... For me, in this entire situation, the saddest outcome for me is that Brandon Smith has been stood down from the emerging leadership group. Firstly, because I've never heard of an emerging leadership group. Like, have you? I've never heard of a, of a, of a squad having an emerging leadership group. You just have leaders. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a strange one. Um, but I think that's just the, that's the Melbourne Storm. That's the Melbourne Storm way. They, they do things a bit different down there, and it seems to be working for them, but... You know, as you say, Cam, uh, Cam Munster and Brandon Smith are, you know, two leaders. You know, they're obviously outside of the official leadership group now, but, you know, they'll still be, oh, yeah. you know, key figures in that in that team next year. And, and, you know, they're probably different guys who don't maybe lead in the traditional way anyway. And, and on the field, I'm sure they'll still have a huge impact when they do get on the field eventually. Yeah, that's my only concern is I don't want, and I, I'm sure they won't do this, but I don't want the players to be those two in particular to kind of be like, oh, okay, well, now I'm not in the leadership group either. They can take it two ways. Oh, I'm not in the leadership group, I won't lead, or I'm not in the leadership group, people won't listen to me because I'm not a leader anymore. Um, but I still don't think, I think if any club can handle a situation like that, it's uh, it's the Melbourne Storm, and they'll be able to still make sure that those two boys are included in some way because also they're in the spine. Uh, but also for Cameron Munster, four-week re- uh, rehab program and then a 12-month alcohol-free period and ongoing counseling hopefully the mad dog can get through it and uh and hopefully the melbourne storm can move on from this but but what do you think so how do you think the melbourne storm have handled this situation as a whole yeah it's probably been pretty poor you know they're they're traditionally a very professional club and, and they're really lauded for that you know within nrl circles but also without you know they're probably known across the sporting landscape in australia in general as as one of the best at how they run their programs and and that's shown in their their results on the field but it was pretty unmelbourne storm like you know they took quite a while to to come out and uh I guess nip it in the butt, and it was one of those ones that was always going to be in the life cycle, in the news cycle for probably a week. But I think you know their poor handling of it probably extended extended that uh, news life cycle and and kept it going for another week. Yeah, I, but I I think the Melbourne Storm have actually handled this really well. So I, I'm going to counter your point there. They were waiting for the NRL Integrity Unit to do their investigation. It wasn't off of the Melbourne Storm because it was a bigger issue that the integrity union had to come in. So once those um, findings came out, it's not like the Melbourne Storm can suppress that. That's whenever the NRL wants to release it, they will. And obviously they had the press conference, which was a little bit 
interesting. That's the only thing. I thought the setup of it was weird with the three players in the background of the shot while the CEO was at the front. Um, but, you know, like, the players weren't drug tested. So you're not just going to go out and accuse your players of doing, you know, cocaine will be up front. You're not going to accuse your players of doing cocaine if there's not actually hard proof that that's what they were doing. You know what I mean? So I don't know what the Melbourne Storm were expected to do. You don't want to, you don't want to talk badly on yourself. You want to, um, you know, you still want to make sure that you're well respected and seen as you're handling the situation well, and that your players aren't as bad as they may be made out in the media. So you're not going to come over like, "Yep, my players have done cocaine," you know. But you can clearly tell that they have because they've handed all these suspended fines and and leadership um, sanctions as well. So. You know, I think the Melbourne Storm have actually handled this situation really well. I think even better than the Warriors did, so uh, in terms of Reese Walsh. Um, but yeah, like you said, yeah, they probably did draw out the the cycle of the news, especially because of some of the stuff that Cameron Munster said, you know, shitting in the well or whatever that was. That was um, some uh, interesting choice of words there from uh, the Queensland 5-8, but yeah, hopefully Melbourne can move on from this and, and have a good 2022 season. Um, second topic, the Wallabies. Can they extend upon the four-game win streak? That's well, what I'll ask you. Yeah, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a tough one. And I think the November tour is something that, you know, rugby fans really look forward to every year. You know, you see the, the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere teams come together and, and you know, you really see a clash of styles and, and it's going to be really interesting for the Wallabies playing a bit more of an up-tempo uh, game style at the moment, how they go against the more conservative, you know, Scotland and, and England type of sides. Do you think they'll be able to break that kind of defence with that young side that they kind of have at the moment? I think, you know, it's, it will definitely be difficult, but when you play that more attacking game style, I think you're always in with a chance against those more conservative styles just because they, they're not going to score as many points. So... You don't have to have maybe as many chances, but you're always, you know, giving yourself a chance to score one or two tries and, and then you're riding with a chance to win the game. How about Wales? Kind of an underestimated international side in rugby. Will the Wallabies be able to get past them? Because I feel like Japan and Scotland, if the Wallabies are able to beat South Africa and Argentina, you would think then, okay, you can go on and beat Japan and Scotland. But England, you know, top four side in the world... And Wales can always turn up on their day. So will they be able to beat the Welsh? I think they're definitely back themselves to beat the Welsh. I, I think the Welsh are an, another really you know interesting side in that you know they've had Warren Gatlin there for a long time and, and he's just left and they've got a new coach in there now. So they're probably in a process of change at the moment, just like the Wallabies. So I think that could be an interesting contrast of, of two sides still trying to figure out how they want to play the game. And, and maybe Wales will, will come out with a bit more of an exciting brand of rugby than what we've seen, you know, of them of the past kind of few World Cup cycles. So the Wallabies have released their squad for these four matches. Some interesting inclusions to the team. Yeah, definitely. You know, we've there's been a lot of chat recently about bringing guys in from overseas and, and we saw it successfully work with guys like Clay Cooper and Samu Karevi recently and they've announced Will Skelton, Rory Arnold and, and Tolu Latu are going to come in despite, you know, playing their club rugby over in France and there's some huge inclusions, you know, the second row and hooker positions which those guys cover are probably a bit weak at the moment in Australia and, you know, Will Skelton in particular is going to be a huge in, you know, he's a, he's a huge physical presence and, and he's one of the best in his position, 
not only in Europe but in the world. So to bring him into a Wallabies side that's going pretty well at the moment is going to be huge. So the relaxing of the Giddo law, do you think this is just going to be a slow process or do you think the Wallabies are going to jump straight in and try and scrap it? I think it's probably going to be a slow process. They've they've spoken, you know, Dave Rennie's spoken about guys playing in Australia will, will probably, uh, you know, still get first crack at it. And, and, you know, you see someone like Andrew Kellaway, who we've spoken about previously on the podcast, who came back to Australia. And when you play in Australia, you're probably, you know, at the fore, forefront of the mind just because you're playing locally and, and you're there to see every weekend. So those guys playing in Australia will probably get the first choice, but... You know, in outstanding circumstances with guys like uh, Will Skelton or Rory Arnold, you you probably get called up. But many have actually, like, criticised the uh, ARU for trying to scrap the Giddo Law because they believe allowing players from overseas to come into the squad will weaken the domestic product. Now, it's obviously an excuse and an argument that's thrown around a lot. Do you believe it actually has weight? I think it does have some weight. Obviously, if you allow players to be picked from overseas there are going to be more players that do go overseas but I think one that's a sign of, of the modern game you know it's a bit naive to think that countries like Australia and even New Zealand can hold all their players because we you know you simply can't compete with the money side of things and for players who have a limited career you know they've got to look after themselves and their families ultimately so you know on that side of things it's a bit naive to maybe think that you can hold all your players here but I think there's also a bit of naivety or uncertainty about you know the amount of contracts that are actually available in Europe. It's not it's not an unlimited you know supply over there if you want to play at the top clubs. And now that Australians can be picked for their national teams from overseas, I think a few clubs will be maybe second guessing bringing Australians over because one of the big I guess pulls for them at the moment is once you bring them over. They're with you all the time. They're not going to go back to the Wallabies, whereas now they can leave for the Wallabies, so they won't be with their clubs for different points. And that's the issues that, like, the smaller Pacific Island nations, and obviously your dad coached some of them with Tonga and Fiji. What was it like from his perspective having players like that who were often in Europe and not actually in Fiji or Tonga at the time? I mean, it had its difficulties. You know, a lot of the clubs are very powerful and, and they, you know, are usually quite strict on when their players can and can't leave world rugby have become a bit more strict as well and, and enforce some more regulations about when you have to release your players but you know the clubs can be quite i guess protective of their players and and won't release them until the day that it's said that they have to so that can i guess cause some issues maybe more so for the smaller countries that can't pay their players to leave leave their clubs for those periods, extended periods. Yeah, that was my next question. I was wondering whether it was actually like different for those smaller nations than it was for some bigger nations like Australia and England and South Africa and, and obviously the All Blacks. But hopefully for the Wallabies, they can extend upon the four-game winning streak. And even if it's not a continuous winning streak, you would, as you said, it would be amazing if they can get at least three wins. Two's fine as well, because let's remember they're still a team in rebuilding and they're trying to get up for that World Cup cycle in 2023. So, I mean, good luck to them. Hopefully they can get some wins. It's Quaid's in the team, right? He'll be there. There. All right, so we might go undefeated on the tour because he's come in and they've been absolutely unbelievable. But in reverse, instead of Australians going to England, this next segment we're talking about English people 
coming to Australia. Now, the Ashes, a lot of back and forth in the last few weeks. The Ashes is on. It's off. Now it is back on and almost locked in. The English Cricket Board, they've said, we need this to go for us. We need that. Why don't you run us through exactly what their critical requirements are for this uh, upcoming Ashes series? Yeah, so I think they haven't they haven't probably outlined them to the public, you know, in clear terms, which has been I think a real interesting thing about trying to follow this from yeah. from the public perspective. We've kind of just been looking at news articles or Twitter updates saying it's on, it's off, it's on. Then there's an eleventh hour meeting, and from that, you know, these critical requirements. I guess it's mainly surrounding you know the English quarantine when they first get here, and then the family quarantines around that Christmas period. Obviously, it's a big tour and it goes over that Christmas Day, Boxing Day test match is going to be a huge one. So I guess they're just looking for some allowances or assurances there around the families. Yeah, and I understand I'm not going to sit here and criticise the English players for, for wanting to have some assurance around you know, what they can and can't do around Christmas time and New Year's because unfortunately when... Um, for other teams that come to Australia to play, you know, that summer test series, it overlaps big holidays and that kind of and that kind of thing. So I think for those sides coming out, especially with COVID and all that kind of stuff, you I feel like you just kinda of have to be aware that it's not going to be the same as other years. And I, I and from asking for these critical requirements and all this type of stuff, I feel like the English cricket board are trying to find loopholes around ways that they can try and get it as normal as possible which is fine but also at the same time like people in this country same as over in england have really struggled with the virus so to just come in and be like oh you know do we have to quarantine can we just go straight out and train you know and i guess they're thinking about you know maybe practice matches and all that kind of stuff so i i I think it's a little bit iffy from the ecb but at the same time you know I do understand it from a family perspective and, and wanting some clarity on, on what exactly they will be doing. But overnight, the England cricket team announced their squad. Two big outs for me and yourself. Not a big surprise, but maybe to some. Jofra Archer, one of the best bowlers in the world, in my opinion. Ruled out, but he's got an elbow injury, and I, and I was aware of that at least a month ago. And Ben Stokes also out indefinitely. Um, now, this is the second Australian Ashes tour in a row that Ben Stokes has missed. Does he not like Australians? I'm not sure. Obviously, he's from New Zealand originally, so maybe maybe he's got a bit of an issue there. I think, as you said, those two outs are probably expected, but still huge outs. Two of England's uh, most important players and... Particularly in Australia, you know, someone like Joffre Archer with the pace bowling is, is going to be a huge loss for them. I just think I would have just loved if Joffre Archer came out because who knows whether Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad will be around next time they come back to Australia. But I just love the fact that there was a possibility to have Joffre Archer, Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad and whatever spinner they go with up against, you know, Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood and Lyon. Like, that is a bowling, like, battle for the ages you know I, I would have loved to have seen that unfortunately it didn't work out that way but like you said with Ben Stokes being a Kiwi it's the perfect form if you're ever going to hate 
Australians, you've got to have a bit of Kiwi and a bit of British in you, and it's the perfect combination. And he's got both, so I think it's a, I think it's a stance from Ben Stokes against Australian people. But um, Tim Payne and other Australian criti- uh, cricketers have criticised the English for their hesitancy to come out for the Ashes. Now, what do you think about current players actually being vocal about you know another nation's? Uh, uh, want to come to Australia to play a, a tour. Yeah, I guess from their perspective, they're probably a bit frustrated. You know, as the English want some clarity around what the tour will look like, they're probably pretty similar and, and they want some clarity in terms of how they're going to prepare and, and whether they should start, you know, getting stuff all sorted out for that tour. But, you know, from another perspective, it's probably a little bit ironic coming from the Australian cricket team. You know, the English have played 11 test matches since the Australians have last played a test match. So, during this COVID time, you know, where it's been difficult to get sport up and going and, and sport has been a huge thing to, to keep people going through. Yeah, I think the English have been the most active for continuing cricket and a lot of that has been under some pretty difficult situations in some in some difficult, you know, quarantine bubbles and whatnot. And, you know, they've persevered through it all while the Australians, for the most part, have, have cancelled some tours and have stayed here in Australia. So it is a bit of an interesting one and, and a bit of a strange take maybe from some of the Australian cricketers. Well, I think I don't think it's strange. I think the fact that Tim Payne has said this, I think it really shows that, you know, Australian players who are, you know, either in the test team or looking like they might slot into the test side are keen to play some test cricket. As you said, England have played 11 tests since Australia last played a test match. So they are so keen to play, and England have just played 11 test matches over in over in their you know home grounds. And now when they're asked to tour, they've got a problem with it. You know, where no, where, whereas Australia, if they wanted to play test matches, they would have to go to the Northern Hemisphere because those grounds that they, you know, used to play are being used by, AF, by the AFL or NRL or whatever it is. So, you know, I think it's really good from Tim Payne to actually come out. Like, the hesitancy isn't about playing test cricket, though. That's where I think there's been... It's about, like, off-field stuff. It's not about playing test cricket. But I think what it does show to me, as I said, is the the Australian players are keen to play some test cricket. And that's when we probably play our best, when we're hungry to win. And, 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 you know... And the only thing that I think will uh, trouble Australia for this upcoming Ashes series is off the back of that statistic, they haven't played any Test cricket for a long time, but I feel like we always say this about the Australian team and then they actually deliver Um, so, fingers crossed that they can actually um, you know, look like they haven't missed too much Test cricket and they're on about the same page as England, but yeah, that's my take on on that situation but hopefully we have a quality series and you know we see some good cricket but before we move on and i'm sure we'll talk about this the closer it gets to the date will england win a test match this upcoming ashes series because the previous two four nil was the last one and then obviously 2013 14 five nil so i don't believe they've won a test match in australia since about 2011 so quite a quite a big uh you know, it's about 10 years now. 
both teams have probably got a, a few things to work out. You know, I look at their top six. I think both teams are in a bit of a similar situation where they rely pretty heavily yeah. on a few players. And, you know, in Australia, that can be, I guess, a good thing or a bad thing depending on, you know, how those players perform. But, you know, the one thing I hope is that it's a quality series. I think sometimes in Australia, our test series can be a little bit, you know, one-sided. And, and we saw when India came over here how good that was, you know, when it went down to the last test match. And, and that's something we don't see very often, but hopefully we can see it this summer. Yeah, and, and to follow on that point about the the Indian series is, although it's always, you know, heartbreaking and disappointing to lose a test match, it does make it more interesting to watch because you go, oh, okay, they can actually beat us here. And then we, you know, you just see where the series unfolds from there. So... I'm with you. Hopefully, it, everything goes smoothly from here on. England are able to get their families down here and, and have a good Christmas and a new year. And and hopefully, along with that, have a great test series, but not win the Ashes. Let's, let's keep it real. Um, but final topic, NBA preseason has just started. It's been um, really interesting so far. Obviously, preseason, you don't really get to see the star players play big minutes. It's about 11 to maybe maybe about 10 to 15 minutes they'll play. And, you know, the likes of LeBron James and Russell Westbrook and, you know, Kevin Durant, they're all playing, you know, those limited minutes. But it's been interesting to see those kind of role players and some of those draft picks come up and actually play some really good basketball and really excite me. And I think... I just want to get this out straight away. Cam Thomas from the Brooklyn Nets, their draft pick, is a gun. He is an absolute gun. The way that he can score, and he hasn't even played a proper, proper NBA game, is unbelievable. Like They already have three elite scorers, and they're going to add in a rookie that can you know, almost match it with them. I think it's absolutely crazy. But what have you liked so far from the NBA preseason? Yeah, we've spoken about it before. I think the NBA does content so well. And, and, you know, you see Instagram accounts such as House of Highlights and, you know, just posting some really hype stuff. And, you know, there was a post the other day about uh, the new Chicago Bulls team. They've obviously uh, got a few guys in in the offseason. And, and, you know, my boy Lonzo Ball tearing it up with with Zach Levine (laughs) there. And, you know, some some pretty incredible highlight plays, which is something that I really enjoy about the NBA. And, you know, speaking of NBA content, I think we've got something, you know, exciting in the pipeline. So do you want to just uh, dive into that a bit? Yeah, I'll dive straight into it. Uh, so the practice drill is starting a little side podcast as well, which will be on every now and then, and there'll be series on different sports. Now, the one that will be out this week is called Practice Drill Around the Key. Now, obviously, as you can tell by Around the Key, we're talking about basketball. Now, this podcast will feature myself and a good mate of mine, Ben, and we'll be talking about all things NBA, giving you our predictions for the season. On the first episode, we'll be talking about our predicted standings in both conferences and individual awards, and we'll talk a little bit about the preseason and then the following week, we'll talk about the upcoming games as the season is to only start, you know, next week. So it's right around the corner. But yeah, can't wait to start this new podcast and, and chat about, um, you know, some NBA basketball in uh, some greater depth as well. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Obviously, you know, we talk a bit about the NBA here, but, 
you know, you're probably a lot more into it than myself. And, you know, I'm probably more of the, you know, the sideline uh, supporter, you know, support the Lakers, but just more watch the highlight plays and, and tune in at the end of the season. So it's going to be really good to have some really dedicated fans that they are talking about it, you know, through the whole season. Yeah, and look, and I think the good thing with me and Ben, and I think it's what our, you know, listeners will enjoy, is we don't particularly agree on anything when it comes to basketball. So, you know, if you think one side maybe, you know, the most obvious one at the moment in NBA is who is the favourite to win the season? Is it the Nets or is it the Lakers? You know, we have opposing thoughts on that already, and I'm not going to give it away just yet, but we'll talk about it in the new podcast. So I think it's going to be, you know, great for all basketball fans to listen to. And also, you know, people can listen to ESPN and all that, but they don't talk about the Aussie players. And that's another thing that we'll be doing, you know, talking about the Matisse Thibels and the Josh Giddies and the Patty Mills of the NBA. And and hopefully we have, you know, one of the best Australian seasons ever. And hopefully Ben Simmons finds a place so he can play some good basketball as well. Yeah, well, I, I know you you in particular are a huge fan of Josh Giddy and, and all he does on and off the court. So that's going to be really exciting to hear yeah, your interesting, take on that. Interesting TikTok user, that guy. He's an interesting guy. Um, but yeah, so first episode coming out Friday. So cannot wait to share it with you guys. So make sure you're ready. It'll be three o'clock Friday. It comes out and it'll be about the same length as, as our podcast, just talking about purely NBA basketball and giving our predictions. And you guys just comment on the Instagram post, give us some topics that you want to hear about. And the best one from the week We'll put in the podcast to talk about. We'll give you a shout out. We'll make sure you know you get your props for asking such a solid question. And I think it'll be a lot for all the all the listeners to enjoy, especially people who love their NBA basketball and want to hear some Aussies talking about it instead of you know these biased and very you know weirdly opinionated American journalists. So you know that's that's what we're going to offer here on the practice drill around the key. There you go. Definitely look forward to it. I can't wait, but that will do us for this week. Episode 21 of The Practice Drill done, and only about the fourth one we've ever done in person. So it's been great to be back doing it uh, on the dining table once again. What a studio. Definitely better than uh, you know the Zoom conference. Uh, but anyway, until next week, enjoy all the sport. There's some Sheffield Shield on. There's some uh, rugby in Europe on at the moment as well. So make sure you uh, are following along. And, and always, a bit of NBA preseason. It is starting to wrap up, but we're getting into the normal season. And so, yeah, new sports coming up now. So enjoy your week. And until next week, uh, see you then. See ya.